Mama Lorenzo. And this is the Pop Style Opinion Fest. Hello, kids. Welcome back to another edition of the PSO. I am the T in your T-Lo. Tom Fitzgerald, and I'm here with the low in your T-Lo. Lorenzo Marquez, my lovely husband. Hello. I say that in my sleep every night. I know. A thousand Aww. times. Um, no, I mean that opening. <laughs> Not that you're my lovely husband. <laughs> Aww. Aww. Anyway. Um, yes, it's another week of podcasting in the dystopia. Um, before we jump into our topics, we do have to acknowledge that um, the events in Atlanta, the shooting in Atlanta, um, the the re, uh, anti-Asian violence that has been visited upon women in Atlanta and, and some bystanders. Um, I, I, this is not the venue for it. We are not the people to discuss this in any deep way, but um, well, our hearts go out and we denounce that form of racism and, and any form of anti-Asian uh, racism that has been going on in this country for the last year. It elevated tremendously um, because of the coronavirus. Various political players, who shall remain unnamed on this podcast, uh, used it um, uh, for political gains to to refer to it as the China virus, and then that resulted in a lot of anti-Asian sentiment and violence. And here we are now with, you know, actual mass shootings going on. Right, right. Um, I, I... as as with like Breonna Taylor or George Floyd, these things must be acknowledged by anybody who's publishing or producing podcast or anything like that. You, if you're in the media in any way, even if it's not your beat, if if you're not talking about political issues or racial issues, and which that's not really our beat, it just becomes more and more of a responsibility that when these events happen, you have a responsibility to take a moment, acknowledge and denounce, and and you do whatever you can. Um, like um, I'm I'm posting in the lounge uh, links to a place where you can help of the, course. the Asian community uh, with donations, volunteer work, and all that. Um, also, stories. Uh, today, we posted a story of one of the family uh, victim- victims. Um, it was a beautiful story, and that's what I want to do. Instead of just focus so much on, on the horrible person right. who did this, just talk a little bit about the family. And it's it's so sad because I I had just watched... Because you know we announced they announced the uh, Oscars and we had a post about it and I went and I went I hadn't finished watching the movies that I hadn't watched. One of them was Minari, and it's sad because I had watched Minari the night before. Minari is a Korean. It's a movie about a Korean family in the United. Korean American, yeah. Yes. So uh, I had just wa- I w- watched the movie the night before, and then I woke up, got my coffee, and you know started looking at stuff online and. The whole story about the uh, the shooting in Atlanta—it was just so sad because I was like, I, just, I can't believe I just saw a movie about right. immigration and how beautiful the movie is and and the contributions of all these immigrants to the country and all that, and then all of a sudden I see this. It's just sad. It's just it's very sad, sad and distressing. Um, it is actually going to apply to some of our topics today because we are actually uh, going to. Uh, to talk about you know things in fashion, uh, how racism has. Uh, has appeared in fashion lately and and i mean i don't need to be coy we're going to talk about alexi mccammon the the recently resigned editor-in-chief of teen vogue who um who resigned after uh, a scandal erupted because old tweets of hers were found where she expressed some you know rather shocking anti-asian bigotry and anti-gay sentiments so we're going to get into that uh, we're going to talk again about our least favorite designers to talk about, uh, Dolce & Gabbana, <laughs> simply because they are back in full force 
on the red carpets. This, these, this past award season has been weird because of the lockdown, but one, one of the weirder parts is that all of these stars are back wearing Dolce & Gabbana um, mere years after their um, sort of breakdown. And also... I guess we'll bring in a little bit about how they're suing Diet Prada. Um, they're just problematic all around. Um, and we have some stuff to say about the recent letter about how the Oscars are going to be conducted. Right. Interesting uh, the Academy stuff. sent yeah. out a letter to nominees and attendees, and we're going to talk about that because mm, a little problematic. So we're going to be all over the map today. It's fashion and red carpet mostly, though. Um, although I know, Lorenzo, you have... I want to talk briefly after you're done about Zack Snyder's Justice League, which right, I sat through all it. four hours of it. But you go ahead first and talk about which is surprising no, because you tend to like take breaks and you you, you don't like to well, watch I wanna, the whole thing. I'll get into that yeah. later. So you go. But anyway, I've been watching great stuff, um, kind of upsetting, troubling stuff, but still very interesting. I would call them entertaining, but stuff that I you find, like to be challenged. Yes, I I find it interesting to watch the things because I I usually learn a lot from it. Um, so I've been watching a couple of, of shows, and I just finished Mia Farrow, the Woody Allen versus uh, Mia Farrow show, uh, which was very interesting to watch. I have to say, a bunch of stuff I didn't know because I didn't really pay attention to the media at the time. So it was interesting to get all that extra information to uh, read more about the. Uh, court files and and the court reports and all that stuff i do think that the show tends to favor uh pharaoh in a way um not that we should defend him in any way but please don't don't take me wrong um i'm just saying that you can tell that the show it has a point of view has a point of view it's like uh, the britney spears documentary right. which it was doing good work and they were correct but you can question that documentary right. because they they clearly came in with a point of view the reason i'm saying this is because i was surprised and shocked um with the stuff they showed that they, they they taped each other so they showed phone calls they um have them both of them having conversations and and i was stunned how i never he uh Woody Allen never came across, uh, to me at least, like that, but how cold he was on the calls. Yeah. Like, very, very cold. Like, in a way that I was like, wow, you've been just unbelievably cold here. And, and yeah, so you can say, well, maybe she was just playing, like, crying and, and doing everything she was supposed to do. But still, um, it just, it let, let me just put it this way. It was a side of Woody Allen that I didn't know or hadn't seen yet. And it's not just based on what I heard or read. I mean, it's, I actually listened to conversations. I read reports and, you know, there's more information there that I don't think, I, I didn't know I, I hadn't access to before. So anyway, I, it was interesting. It was very interesting to listen to Dylan um, Farrell talk about her experiences and she said some very interesting stuff that the reason I, I'm bringing this show up is because I'm, I'm also watching a show called Bear Town on HBO which is based on a book uh, written by a Swedish uh, writer called Fredrik um, Beckman I believe um, it's a very pop it's not a pop a very famous book um, a lot of people read it um, has been banned in, in schools and anyway um, and it's and now, and now it's now a show on HBO. Um, I really, I'm, I'm enjoying the show very much. Um, I didn't know anything about the book. Again, it's one of those shows that I didn't know about the book, but I, I'm really interested in watching the show. And the, it's about a small town in, uh, in Sweden. Um, 
and it's about a, a hockey team, and it's about a small town, about, you know, small mentality and uh, town mentality, and um, and um, I'm not giving anything away, but a, a rape happens, um, and it's all about how they deal with, with that situation in a small town, and it's very much related to the, um, it, it's, it's, um, yeah, I don't want to give anything You're away. having so much trouble. Because this topic is hard for you. It's, 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 it's very, a hard show to talk about. It's very interesting. Um, but I, it, it was hard for me because um, it is a very uh, difficult to- uh, topic to talk about. But also because um, I do feel that uh, because it's an international show, it's a show from Sweden, um, they have a little, dif- they, the, the take is a little different. It's a little more open, I think. Uh, than if it was a show in America, uh, if it was an American show. Um, I do feel that they're more open to discuss certain things, uncomfortable topics that I don't think you could get away here with it. Um, but I am enjoying it, enjoying watching the show. Um, I think watching all these things, um, and then there's another show, which kind of kind of the same thing, it's called The Serpent, um, uh, on um, Netflix um, that will premiere April something. I can't talk too much about it, but again, it's a very good show and it relates to sexual abuse and all that stuff. But my point is all these shows happening now uh, and with Army Hammer also, all these accusations against him. I, it's interesting because I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm paying attention to all this stuff and I feel that I'm in a way that I didn't do before that to me... It's more focused on the victim. I feel like sometimes we're very much focused on on the person doing horrible things, but we don't really pay attention to the victim. Um, And watching these shows and paying attention to little details here and there, it's interesting how my mind has opened to listen to the victims more, pay attention to the victims more than focus on on what the the person did. It's just fascinating to me. So I, I, I highly recommend Bear Town. I think it's a great show. Um, yeah, and The Serpent. The Serpent is also very good. Can't talk much about it. I'll talk more about it later. But it's a great show on Netflix as well. All of those shows kind of uh, talking about the same topic. So that's it. Those are my suggestions. All righty then. I'm just going to weigh in briefly on Zack Snyder's Justice League because... It dropped yesterday, and it was a big thing for years, and also because I am as close to an expert on DC Comics as you're going to hear today. I've been reading them for 50 years, or 40-plus years. Um, So, in a lot of ways, this movie wound up being a real uh, love letter to anybody who really, really understands all those Easter eggs. Um... I don't like Zack Snyder as a filmmaker. I really haven't liked any of his films. Um, And in particular, I thought his DC films, which was Man of Steel and Batman vs. Superman and and now Justice League, uh, I haven't agreed with anything that he has done with with most of these characters. The only thing I ever really liked about, that I could give him credit for, was that he cast Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman which was very, very smart uh, and in some ways counterintuitive because I remember when she was cast, people thought she was too skinny. Um, and of course, you know, fanboys being fanboys, they thought she looked too quote-unquote ethnic because, you know, their idea of Wonder Woman is Linda Carter, not an Israeli woman. Um, so I will give him credit for that. I also think casting um, 
uh, what's his name? Jason Momoa as uh, Aquaman was a brilliant choice as well. You have to remember that in the comics for over, you know, for right. 80, 80 years, Aquaman has been a blonde, blue-eyed, right. Aryan-looking man. And I remember saying on the nerd boards back in the day when it was first announced that Jason Momoa was going to be Aquaman, I was like, that is so brilliant. It is such a brilliant way to uh, diversify a lineup of characters in a way that makes sense. The idea that the King of the Seven Seas would be a Pacific Islander, uh, a man from the... That just makes sense. That just makes more right. sense than making him look like he's from Germany or something like that. So I, um, I'll i give him his due on that, but I don't like his style of filmmaking. and I don't. It's bombastic and it's morose and it's self-important in a way that really turns me off. Um, I think... I think it's a good idea for DC to try and differentiate itself from Marvel in terms of how its movies are made because Marvel movies are so, they eat up all the oxygen in the room. Like when you are talking about superhero movies, they're just a a mammoth, mammoth, um, you know, entertainment franchise. So, uh, again, I'll give him some slight credit for that. He does not, he firmly does not believe these characters should be done up in a way similar to the Avengers because they are not the Avengers. They have a different flavor to them. Now, um, when he was shooting uh, Justice League the first, you know, the first time it came out in 2017, um, he had to leave the project. And, and to hear him tell it, it sounds like he was more or less forced off the project. But he had a family tragedy, and uh, he left the project in the middle of it. And they brought Joss Whedon in, who was the director of the first two Avengers films, and also the creator of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, and interestingly enough, Joss Whedon's star has fallen precipitously in the last year because all of these charges of abuse have come out, and he's probably done. Um, but that's not right. That why uh, Zack Snyder got the chance to redo this. Uh, it's because of a, a long, loud, and extremely toxic online fan campaign that finally um, more or less forced DC and Warners to give him the footage back and give him $70 million more dollars to finish, wow. to finish the film the way he wanted it. And, I mean, part of this is because the Justice League film that Joss Whedon put out was a bastardized mess that uh, was a critical and commercial failure. So I guess they figured, all right, there's... There's online fans who want this, and we have the footage, and the guy wants to come back. Why the hell not? I never cared. I was like, the movie sucked the first time I saw it, and I don't like Zack Snyder, and I just don't care. But initial report, I never asked for a screener. We could have gotten one, but it never occurred to me. That I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to write. And I, I even now wouldn't write a review of it. Um, but I did... When it came out, uh, I did decide to sit down and and watch it yesterday because the early reviews from some critics that I really respect were like, you know, it's really not as bad as you think it would be. And some of them were coming out and saying it's actually quite good in parts. So I was curious and I needed to see it. And you're right. I don't normally sit down and and plow through four hours of anything in one sitting. But... um, I don't know. I, I I didn't sit. I didn't do it in all one sitting. I I did it in like four sessions of one hours right. a piece from the beginning, from early yesterday morning all the way to late last night. It took me literally all day to watch it. Um, that is a long preamble to say. I yes, the critics, you know, they were largely correct. This is a vast improvement over the first version of it, or the version that hit the theaters. And there is something to be said about purity of vision. I don't love the way he looks at these characters or the way he looks at this genre Zack Snyder I'm talking about but when you it's it's clearly a better product if you let a 
a filmmaker, you know, you know, enact their vision instead of this hybrid thing that they put out in the theaters a couple of years back. So I wouldn't say it's a good film, but it is a vastly improved film. And honestly, I don't know about how well this will do financially for Warner's, but I think it was an artistic success. Mm. It was the correct thing to do to give it the reins back to him and say, go ahead and, and make the... You have to remember, there were lots of charges, like uh, cast members of the uh, Justice League, the you know, Ray Fisher, who plays Cyborg, who is, you know, the only black member in the cast, he... Um, spoke out against the treatment he got on set when Joss Whedon took over. And it's that's been a, a, an ongoing controversy for years now. So there's a lot of reasons why, as much as I don't like Zack Snyder, uh, there was good reason to say, let's try and clean this mess up in some way. Let's give Ray Fisher a chance to play this character the way he was, you know. And they, his role in this new version is completely different and much, uh, you know, he's, he actually did a really great job. His performance is great. All of the characters are morose, and the film is so ridiculously self-important and bloated and slow. Lots and lots of slow-motion scenes. However, the action scenes are amazing. Um, some of the imagery is really, like, right up there with Lord of the Rings. That's the thing about him is that his... Really? Wow. Yeah, his idea of superheroes is not like those Marvel films. He, His idea of the DC heroes in particular are that they are part of a, a grand and ancient and epic mythology. So he really, really leans into that in this movie. And there are scenes right up there with the Peter Jackson scene, like, you know, Helm's Deep and all mm-hmm. that. There are scenes that are up there. That, that explains why you said he, he understands Wonder Woman, because it's this whole epic uh, historic That, of and he also understands, there's a lovely scene uh, in the beginning where she rescues a little girl and she says, can I be like you when I grow up? And she said, you can be whatever you want. That's Wonder Woman, is right. that she can... Uh, take on a whole room full of terrorists and and even kill some of them in order to save people and then turn around and be tender to a little girl and tell her that she can be whatever she wants. That's that's the essence of that character. And that's a hard balance to strike because that's kind of corny and unlikely. It's sort of like the Christopher Reeve version of Superman. It shouldn't work, but it does. Um, anyway, I don't, I don't really want to get into the weeds of this because most of you probably haven't seen it. Um, but it's, you know... If you're curious, if you're tired of the Marvel way, but it is big, it is loud, it is bombastic, buildings come crumbling down, and, you know, the destruction is amazing, but there are scenes of, honestly, there are scenes of real grace and beauty, the way he, uh, the Amazons, the scenes with the Amazons are as good or better than anything Patty Jenkins ever shot. Wow. Um, he does understand the Amazons. He understands that they are an ancient culture, that they are culture rich in myth. They're just not chicks and togas. There's way, way more to that. <laughs> and he understands that. He understands the majesty of that culture. Um, and I respect that as a, you know, he can be a little weird about women on film if you've ever seen Sucker Punch, but um, at least he understands that those characters, those female characters and that female culture is supposed to be epic in scope and it's supposed to be jaw dropping. Do you think the time he had to wait the gap uh, improved the quality? of? I think so because there are clear references to films that were made after he, because he, he did all these reshoots. Right. And now there are clear references to some of the films that came after him. Um, like he, he refers to some stuff in Aquaman and there's st- some stuff in Wonder Woman that it's clear that he's, so um, yes, he. I think he's. He probably made some choices. I think he probably beefed up Ray Fisher's part. He's almost the star of the movie. Yeah, he, ha- he has the deepest emotional arc. He's he's honestly got the only emotional arc in the movie. Um, 
that's it. Not going to overstate the brilliance of it or anything like that or the success of it. It is a artistic improvement over the original, though. And there were long sequences where I was like, this is amazing. This is amazing. Um, but it's not a great, it's not a great film. And, um, I would never recommend sitting through all four hours of it in one sitting. All right. End of that. Mm -hmm. That is my release into the wild of my nerd opinions. Okay. Let's start off with, because this was a week, a week where anti-Asian racism exploded and we've already addressed that. Let's talk about Alexi McCammon, who was named as the editor in chief of teen Vogue. And then immediately a bunch of her tweets from her teenage years, she's, I believe, 27 or 28, mm -hmm. a number of tweets from 10 or 11 years ago surfaced where she made some anti-Asian, you know, pretty bad, like not mild anti-Asian commentary, anti-gay commentary, in that sort of shit posting, you know, 2010 circa way of being on Twitter. Um, she held on for a little while. She only recently was named editor-in-chief. And then she held on to see if she could write out this, uh, this this scandal and then um yesterday or the day before she announced her resignation and i think we can of course this whenever something like this happens we uh, a stupid conversation about cancel culture comes up and we can have a, and we'll have a discussion about whether it's fair to hold tweets from your teenage years against you in terms of your um employment now 10 12 years later um but this all needs to be framed in the context of that shooting in Atlanta. Her tweets were specifically anti-Asian. Right. And this horrible uh, explosion of anti-Asian violence happened. And uh, again, we can talk about the fairness of this or whatever, but Vogue is a forward public-facing company. It has advertisers. It has an image. And you know, we're not talking about some lawyer who got fired from her law job because, you know, in some, some anonymous, you know, per, this is someone who's a public, she is the face of a company. Right. Uh, so I th go. I think it's a little more complicated than just saying, well, she wrote this stuff 10 years ago and she's been punished, you know, for saying whatever she said 10 years ago. It's a combination of everything. It's, 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 you know, uh, the fact that she is, She's not, she's not just working for the company. She's just not working for Teen Vogue. She's going to be, she was going to be the editor of, of the she magazine. She was responsible for the magazine. Right, she was responsible for the magazine. She was in charge of a, a ton of people. And as you all know, uh, in the fashion industry, there, there's a lot of Asian people. Uh, there in the just, customer base alone. Yes, and a lot of gay people. And yeah. these are the two groups that she made horrible comments about uh, again it was 10 years ago you can argue you know she apologized and so on but you have to understand from a uh, business point of view um you know it's it's not good and and it from and a it, management point of view as well a bunch of staffers dozens of staffers came out and said we can't work with her right well that's the thing it wasn't just the media the social media attacking her it was everybody in the company in the magazine saying that you know they couldn't work they they all got together and wrote a letter mm -hmm. uh saying that they they just couldn't work with someone they 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 would fear any decision they made because this person was their boss mm -hmm. um so they said they couldn't work with this person and um and then some advertisers uh decided you know to take a stand and say right. you know if if she continues we're gonna have to pull all our ads and so it was a combination of a bunch of things and and actually her attitude was she really tried to ride it out and yeah. I, it should be mentioned here that you know 
uh, it whether it makes a difference to you or not, she is a black woman. Mm-hmm. Um, so the 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 racial aspect of this was confusing to say the very least. Um, but yes, you're right. I feel she was a little cavalier about it. She really thought she was going to ride it out. And uh, again, it should be noted, not only did a bunch of um, staffers come out and say, we can't work with her, but one of the, their biggest advertisers, which is Ulta Beauty, mm-hmm. pulled an ad out right. of an issue and said they weren't going. And that's the end. That's the end right there. Um, it's, it's, I, I am of the opinion that average people, um, there's a, a certain level of forgiveness for tweets or social media posts mm-hmm. or online behavior that predates your adulthood. Um, however, it's really hard to, uh, you know, to just, I guess what it comes to her is, why did you leave those tweets up, you stupid thing? Like, why did you do that? Did, did You were so cavalier about it that you didn't think it... You know what I mean? Like, uh, if the, if there's a lesson here other than don't make racist tweets, no matter how old you are, right? Uh, it's if you are out in the professional world and years go clean your crap up. Do not leave that stuff up. I think somebody. I think I read something on social media about that. Like, just delete your stuff, people. <laughs> Early in your career, like yeah. as soon as you graduate college, delete everything from right. prior to it. I am not excusing her for making those comments, even. Although, you know, she wasn't like, it wasn't like she was 13 when she made them. I believe she was like 17, 18 years old. She was heading into college age, the heading is, into adulthood. The thing, the problem that I have with her tweets is that um, they're not all at the same time. No, 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 no. It was over a period. It's, they were over a period of time. So it's not like you just did something and then, you know, you just did it once. No, um, she repeated the... Uh, offensive (laughs) language several times, uh, especially the ones about Asian people, which is horrible. Well, again, Uh, from a management perspective, let's say she's editor-in-chief, and a year from now, um, she kills a story by a gay writer, or she fails to promote an Asian editor. You know, there's going to be immediate question. It will hang over every decision she makes. Um, And and let's be... And the company itself is being open, opening itself up to lawsuits, discrimination law, because there will be clear evidence that she has bigoted thinking. You know what I mean? I keep saying you know what I mean. And, and, um, you know, that's reality. Sometimes your life, your your career, everything is is decided by the zeitgeist, by whatever's happening at the time. She just happens to be stuck in a situation right now. Uh, Her comments and, and, and whatever she did just happened to be happening at a time when it's very bad right? Uh, to make any kind of comments like that. So, yeah. so uh, you know, she's been, quote unquote, punished, I guess. You can, you can phrase it that way, but it's, you know, it's because... There's consequences. That's there not are, punishment, it's right. consequences. Uh, because I, I read all this stuff online and social media, especially saying, you know, well, you know, if a white person did that, you know, they would get away with it and so on. I don't know. I'm, I don't it, know that. I don't know. Not right in this now, day and age. Exactly. Right this week? I don't think so. Um, and that's the bottom line here. It just happened that she was, uh, she assumed this role um, in the magazine at a time, you know, when things are very bad uh, uh, right now. Um, so it's just, you know, all right, well, we are in a good way. I think that's very good, actually, that we are sort of like... Um, revisiting all these issues about race and, and racism. So it's good. I mean, we had this incredible time. Not not enough. We still have to continue with with about uh, uh, racism against black people. 
you know, we had all these, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter and so on. And I'm not saying it's over or done, but there's still work to be done. So I guess it's it's the good t- it's a good time now to uh, focus on other types of racism. Uh, also, racism, I think you know. she just to wrap this up, she'll be fine. She's oh, 27 years yeah. old. She's had a very good career. She will bounce back from this and maybe down the line if she's, you know, made some amends publicly and written herself out of this mess, she could be an editor-in-chief again. I don't think her career is over. Well, yes, she's also very young. Uh, and I remember some of the comment uh, uh, of the people working with her is that she didn't have the experience to to assume such an important role. Anyway. All right, moving on. Dolce & Gabbana, similarly. Right, kind of the same. Um, it's not just that they're problematic. There's so many things about them that are problematic about the things that they have said over the years, but not not least of which or the most famous of which was their anti-Asian imagery and racism. And there was, didn't they call it a shit country or something like that? I don't when remember. it blew up. And I so, don't remember that. It's not like, oh, people shouldn't wear Dolce & Gabbana on the red carpet because they love Melania Trump. I would, honestly, I would never say that. I would never, you know, claim that they should be boycotting them for something like that. But they came, they spoke out against gay, ch- um, you know, adopt, gay couples adopting children. And the, they they made some rather offensive comments when they were supporting Melania Trump. And they there was an ad campaign that was just offensive for the their Chinese market, where they right. showed a Chinese model trying to eat pizza with, with chopsticks and stuff like that. And when it blew up, um, there were all these messages that, that they put out that were just full-on racism, anti-Asian racism. We have been down this road with them before, and the only reason we're bringing this up is, again is because of this recent explosion. And it becomes, uh, I'll tell you, I was, I can be honest here, I was a little surprised. We wrote a piece for Cosmopolitan for the Grammys. We've been covering award shows for Cosmopolitan now for almost two years. Um, and we wrote a piece for Cosmopolitan for the Grammys. And that you have to do that piece that night. The Grammys, be, you know, st- airs at 8 p.m. And I think I filed with Cosmo at 10, 15. Um, and there was a lot of, we had to pick best and worst of the night or whatever. And there was, it was just a ton of Dolce & Gabbana. So we, we sent in a first draft. And now we have written for um, mainstream publications and mainstream fashion publications for a while now. And we understand that it's not the same thing as writing for your own independent blog. There's, the voice is different. Um, so I was pleasantly surprised that our editor, Rachel Torgerson from, from Cosmo, sent a note back to us and said, you know, I think maybe you guys could work in a reference to Dolce and & Gabbana and why they're problematic. Right. Um, and that felt great that we were getting that kind of, because I didn't, I wasn't sure if I, because you figure Dolce & Gabbana have ads running in Cosmopolitan, right. you know? The- so uh, we did that. And then all this week, the Kids' Choice Awards was loaded with D&G as well, where we just felt like, all right. I didn't think we were going to call it out every time someone wore them on the red carpet because that becomes tired after a while. And we're not Diet Prada here. We're not, it's not our job to be advocates for a certain right, thing. Right, right. Um, but there was such an explosion in the past week and the Oscars are coming up and it's like, well, Jesus, can someone just say something here about how gross it is that everyone's doing this? Go. It's interesting because um, the, the Dolce Gabbana story happened a while ago and, um, People tend to, you know, like it happens every time in the fashion industry. You, you, they tend to forget about it, and and then you never hear about it again. It's a big deal for a moment, and then everyone forget about it. And you saw that happening with Dolce Gabbana, and then slowly, uh, the stylists started like dressing the the celebrities again. You know, 
they were wearing Dolce Gabbana again on the red carpet. Um, and it's interesting because you see that it happen and you kind of like, okay, maybe they're coming back. But then we just read that, that uh, we read recently that they're suing Diet uh, Prada. Diet Prada is an Instagram account. And what they do is they, they talk about all sorts of things. Um, they call be, out fashion. Yes. It's a big part of their brand. Right. They knock offs and things like that. But it happens that one of the creators of the account is an Asian uh, guy. And um, so he, you know, that particular subject, uh, of course, he kept talking about it and, and annoyed Deutsche Gabbana a lot to the point that now they're suing uh, Diet Prada um, for all the money they lost and, all, you know, the revenue and all that stuff, blah, blah, blah. So it, clearly they haven't learned any lesson here. <laughs> you can tell. Um, and so they just want to move on and, and they just want to, you know, make sure that everyone forgets about it. And then they just move on and start making money again and red carpet again and so on. But, but then this happened and it's, and let, let's just emphasize here that it, the racism happening right now against Asians in general, uh, it's not just in the United States. I mean, if you, if you look at all the articles, I mean, uh, they're writing articles in Europe. Uh, it's happening everywhere. It's not just happening here in the United States. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if Dolce Gabbana becomes a thing again, everyone wearing it, uh, Dolce Gabbana again. Uh, I, I'm curious to see if, if there's going to be start another discourse, another conversation about them and what they did. Right. Uh, Which or, is why or, we've been calling them out. Right. Or if they're just going to forget about it. But it, it's... It's annoying to see that they have learned nothing from it, uh, and they just want to pressure the uh, stylists and everybody else to, you know, start wearing Dolce Gabbana again and yeah. forget about it. Um, yeah, I. It'll be interesting to see because there's been a clear bump in in um, D and G on the red carpet in the last several weeks, and then this event happened in Atlanta, and now the Oscars are happening next month, and it'll be interesting to see if there will be a turn away from this in the right. In, in the space between now and the Oscars. Um, I, I would hope there would be, um, especially in a year when so many Asians are, are nominated, an historic amount of Asians are being nominated for Oscars. How about we put the anti-Asian designer aside for a while right. for this event? Now, when it comes to us covering it, this comes up every time, This literally every time someone wears Dolce Gabbana and we cover it on our site, uh, someone will ask, and listen, I think this is a, Decent question to ask. I don't mind answering this question, but it does come up every single time. Why do you guys bother featuring them? And uh, the last time it came up on Twitter, we were tagged and the Fug Girls were tagged. And we sort of tag teamed our reply. And we both basically had the same response, which was, um, until there's a moratorium on covering D&G by all the other much, much, much larger uh, industry magazines and websites, InStyle and Vogue and Cosmo, if they all say we're not going to cover D&G anymore, we would happily follow their leads. But if you're asking us to lead that as a small, independently owned uh, media company, you're asking us to limit our, our ability to cover the thing that we're supposed to cover. Um, and I just want to add here. What you're doing is you're cutting us off and it will have no effect on, on you know, listen, I know for a fact that Tom and Lorenzo and the Fug Girls are paid attention to by stylists in Hollywood. I know this for a fact, and so do the Fug Girls. Um, so it's not that I don't feel we 
I mean, I'm trying to use our platform. We're trying to use our platform to, to just sort of call them out. But we're not going to have an effect ultimately on this multi-billion dollar company unless someone like Vogue, which will not do it, or Cosmo or InStyle turns around and says, no more of this. No more of this until they, uh, you know, they make amends. Anyway, go ahead. I just want to say that um, in terms of our coverage, um, uh, coverage in Dolce Gabbana, in terms of Dolce Gabbana, um, we stop doing the collection we stop uh featuring them as a yay or nay i mean we don't do any of that anymore it's pretty much down we did put it up for an in or out megan the stallion yeah th- but this week that's what i was gonna say it's it's all about um uh just if they wear if they're wearing them on the red carpet that's the only part that we are showing on our site uh it's not about um you know, featuring the collections or featuring the handbags, the shoes, and things like that. We're we're avoiding all that. It's only if they wear in the red carpet. And yes, as you said, we did a, a showdown or yayune, but only because they were wearing them on the red carpet. Anyway, that's that. Okay, our final uh, discussion is the note from the Academy that was sent out this week. Uh, actually, it was from the, from the producers of the awards tell the Academy Awards this year. One of which is the director Steven Soderbergh sent out a letter to the press and to nominees and attendees. And essentially, you know, to, to put this in perspective, the Golden Globes and the Grammys had history-making bad, uh, um, like I'm pretty sure record-breaking bad uh, ratings. No one watched them this because you know it's. And I can understand why it was work for us to sit through them because they are all mostly remote or they're these hybrid events. I will say the Grammys did a pretty good job. Right. Um, but it's just, it's funny. And I'll get to this because they more or less acknowledge this in the letter. You and I have been saying for, and I know the fuck girls have been saying for years as well. When are these people going to understand that the, the number one reason people want tune in to watch these things is the fashion. Yeah, you said that several times. I have yeah. been saying it for yeah. years. The vast majority of people who tune in want to see stars walking around in ridiculously glamorous outfits. You take that away from it, right? and nobody wants to tune in. Uh, it, no matter how much you love the star, that's not enough reason to watch them get an award. Right. So um, this is interesting because the, the Oscars are faced with this conundrum. Ha- uh, ratings are in the toilet for all of these awards shows, uh, how do we do this? And these award shows are expensive to produce. How do we do this in a way that, you know, en- ensures a certain audience or gives the audience at home whatever they they want most from an award show? So they sent out this letter, and um, basically they're saying no one's allowed to zoom in. Uh, you either show up or that's it. You're not on the show. You have to come to Los Angeles or Hollywood. Right. If you don't come, then you don't even now, get a chance to there's, they're saying make a speech. It'll be socially distanced and there will be testing. And I do believe the Grammy show that you can do right. this sort of outdoor event. Um, I remember Billy Eichner a couple weeks ago, the comic Billy Eichner a couple weeks ago said on... Um, Twitter, he said, why don't we just do it at the Hollywood Bowl? It'll be outside. It's an iconic Hollywood uh, play, you know. It's a great idea. Yeah. It is. I don't think that's what they're, I forget where they're doing it. But the Grammys were partially outside. You can do this thing where people are sitting far apart wearing masks. They can take the mask off when they come up to get their award or when they're performing or whatever. It seems to work, but um, people should have the option of doing that. They shouldn't be forced. It really right. bothers me. Like, this is the biggest award. Many of these people, because it's such a history-making 
Sarah, you know, the num- the nominate like right. Riz Ahmed and 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 Chloe Zhao and all these, you know, Stephen Yun and all these people were were nominated. This is a big deal that it's such a diverse right. set of nominees. And now they're saying, you know, if you don't show up and risk getting COVID, that's right. the thing. Uh, if you don't put your health at risk, you cannot um, you cannot bask in this career right. moment. You, you, that is problematic. Right. You have to understand that you're not you're not just coming by yourself. You're coming with twenty people, <laughs> hairstylists, makeup people, everybody. Right. You know, p- producers or I mean, uh, publicists. Every everybody. Right. Um, I understand. It's but... not just you getting on a plane <laughs> and and getting here. Right. So I don't know. I just. I understand why they're doing it. There's a part of me that almost supports it, but I think they took it too far. One of the things they did say in the um, thing was that you don't have to dress formal, but you can't dress casual. And I think some people's noses are out of joint in like the media and everything, but I'm like, no, I'm sorry. They're absolutely right to say that. People will not tune in to watch people in their pajamas accept awards. (laughs) They want the full glamour. Otherwise, why do it? Right. But... Telling people they can't Zoom or they can't come, which is really weird because the the Oscars have a long history of um, people accepting their award via satellite. Like if there's some actor in London. Right, right. Ex- You're right. They do that all the time. They've been doing that for years. So I don't know why they can't. Maybe they will. Maybe they will set up cameras in other parts think, of the I'm, world, I'm, although I'm, I haven't heard anything. Well, the letter is very specific saying that if you don't attend the event, you can't make right. a speech, which means that they're not setting up studios or whatever yeah, rooms in, You're in, right. in Europe, uh, which that, you know, that could work. You just get very good equipment, very good cameras, and you take great shots and you make it look like a red carpet. And then, you know, it looks great. It's not in your living room with your shitty computer and shitty camera. Um, it, you know, all that blurred image, because I'm so tired of it. Um, I, but the letter says you have to come. Um, which that's I think, problematic. Which I agree with. Possibly you. irresponsible. It is like forcing someone to. I mean, Los Angeles is in one of the hottest COVID right. spots in the country, dealing right. with quite the outbreak. Um, I mean, I sympathize. Look, I, it has been a rough year for anybody who covers this stuff, <laughs> true, or does this stuff. And I'm just as hungry to get back to anything as close to normal. As any of the stylists are, any of the producers and managers and stars, they all want to get back to it. And I agree, we have to get back to it. Um, I also agree with with this letter that um, you should be dressed up for this. You should be serving something that the public wants right. to look at. I agree. You can talk about how much you resent that and how your work is so important and yada, yada, freaking yada. But at the end of the day... The public is watching the Oscar to see what you're wearing. I think based on, on what I see, because we follow a, t- a ton of accounts on Instagram, uh, all these stylists and so on. I think, I think what happened is in the, in the beginning when the first when the pandemic started, I, I think the celebrities were kind of scared to to dress up. Yes, because they felt they were that wasn't that wasn't the time, and they to, were right. Yes, to like you know dress up, spend all this money, and show all these you know expensive garments and everything when everyone is dying literally so i think things have improved a little bit because i think the industry has understood that people are people want that you know people want that that distraction people want that that type of entertainment so i I think it's slowly and then combined with the stylist because you know these people have to work 
I remember reading, it was kind of heartbreaking. I remember reading uh, Instagram, uh, their Instagram account and talking about like, oh my God, we haven't dressed anybody. We haven't done anything, you know, like these people have jobs and they had no jobs. They had nobody to, nothing to do. Right. Um, and I remember them talking and I think in a way it's nice that celebrities understand that, that these people have worked with them for a long, long time. These people have made them look incredible for a long time. So I think it's their turn now to support these people and make sure they have jobs um, and, you know, make keep the industry going, um, wearing. And, and I've, I've, I've also read celebrities saying that they, they miss getting dressed up for stuff. Right. So they are. We, we, we have seen uh, a little bit of a change, and I hope it keeps going to a point where we feel comfortable again to... We'll get back to it. Yeah. I'm not suggesting that we rush back to it while it's dangerous, um, which is why I think this letter is its jumping the gun here. I do understand it's difficult. I do understand you're looking at a ratings crash, which means a lot of money will be lost. Um, I understand that entire industries, fashion, stylists, promotional industries... Are, they need to get back. They need to, and the Oscars is the one of the biggest right. events of the year for them. Um, if we can do the Super Bowl, we can do the Oscars. But it, it, you can't tell people to risk their lives uh, to come to the Oscars; otherwise, they don't get to accept their awards. That's that's taking it too far. Um, but this is an ongoing thing, uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if this evolves in the weeks between now and the Oscars. I don't like I said, and we said uh, I. There's no reason why they can't come up with like set up a, a studio or a room wherever the the, um, the actor or the actress is, you know, wherever they are, and just set up like a nice camera, nice setup so they they can take pictures and they can make their speech. Uh, great. So that's our thoughts on the latest in red carpet fashion and uh, the little scandals that are besetting them at the moment. So I'd uh, love to hear your thoughts on them and everything we've expressed here. So stop it by TomandLorenzo.com and we will have a post up for this podcast until next week. Um, and when we come back here with anything that crosses our eyes or crosses our desks, please be safe. Take care of yourself. Yes. Love you. Mean it. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.